energetic, isn't it? Well, good morning. Welcome again to, uh, to this series, Born for This. Uh, to get us started today, I-, I want you to think about some of the amazing combinations, things that you already, already probably know of. You-, you already know about the amazing combination of chocolate and peanut butter, right? It's good. Or uh, anyone, graham crackers and milk. Take it back a few years, maybe to kindergarten snack time. Um, or uh, maybe, maybe this is lesser known, but I'm telling you, French fries and chocolate ice cream. Yeah, it's good. You know, it's my, my thing. Chocolate shows up a lot in my, uh, in, my, uh, in my favorite combinations. But honestly, if you think about great combinations, few things go together better than babies and Christmas. I mean, come on, right? Or, or look at this. Aw. Or what about this one? Yeah, we need a little more awe. Come on, awe. Yeah, or one more. <laughs> Are you kidding me? Uh, nothing goes better, get together better than babies and Christmas. And I know this from personal experience because of my family's own personal experience with our own Christmas baby, almost Christmas baby, our middle child, Aria. Um, here's a picture of Aria then. Here's a picture of Aria now. Um, Aria was, her, Jocelyn's due date with Aria was right around Christmas, which made for an incredibly stressful Christmas season. I mean, I'm sure it was hard on Jocelyn too, but it was, it was, uh, the whole Christmas Eve, you know, day and all the Christmas services, I just was waiting to get a phone call from her being like, we got to go to the hospital. And I didn't know what I was going to do. And, and so it was really stressful, but Aria has always been a pretty compliant kid. So she was good enough to wait until early in the morning on December 27th to be born. But I'll tell you what, that December, uh, back in 2005, was, man, that made Christmas more real than any Christmas I've ever experienced. As I had my own wife who was great with child and we were living through the expectation of a child coming in, I had increased empathy and understanding for Mary and Joseph and, you know, that, that journey to Bethlehem and all of the fear and excitement and wonder and mystery. It, it became so real for me. And even that song um, that is often sung around Christmas, Mary, Did You Know? You know that song? The song about Mary holding Jesus in her arms and, and just wondering about what he would be, who, who he would become, what he would do in the future. Um, I remember having moments like that, spe- uh, specifically with Aria that year. While the Christmas tree was still in our house, I just remember holding her as, a, as just a newborn baby. And, and, and I did this with all my kids, but I remember it with her just wondering what God was going to do with this gift that he gave to us, who she would be, what she would become. You know, would she be some great scientist who would help cure cancer? Would she be a a renowned musician? Would she be a leader of people, maybe even a spiritual leader helping people come to know Jesus? Uh, Would she someday be the president of the United States? (laughs) Nowadays, I'm like, I hope not. You know, that was back in the day when that was actually a job people wanted to have, I guess. Um, and I, I just remember those moments of, of holding her and, and just letting my mind go um, crazy with wonder and imagination of what this, this girl would do, what she would, what she would be. And, and you know, uh, a few years later, I remember sitting here in this, in this very sanctuary, and it was during a preschool early childhood Christmas program. My kids have gone through St. John's School, and um, it's an incredible school. In fact, if you don't know about what we're doing in our lead school right now, you owe it to yourself to find out. We're, we're doing just totally unique and powerful things in education and some great results from it already. Um, but I, I remember Ari being three years old, and she's up here with all these three-year-olds as a part of a preschool early childhood Christmas program. 
And, um, and you know, everyone's kid's cute, but, but my daughter, <laughs> let me just tell you, um, I, I saw something in her that day as she was up here on the stage and they're singing their songs. There, there was something more that I saw. And, and, and later on, a few years later, I saw that when she did some little production. She was Wendy and Peter Pan. And even this last year, she was Annie in the production Annie. And, um, but, but I remember another time in particular, she was, I think she was about nine years old and it was during a Lenten midweek service. And during that Lenten midweek, we had these monologues of conversations and, and Aria wanted to do one. And so she wrote one and she delivered it in the context, the scenario of this monologue was a young girl who was preparing for a tough conversation with her dad upon the news that her parents were divorcing. And she wrote this monologue and she got up here and she delivered it and it was chilling. In fact, after the service, people came up to me and Jocelyn and they were like, are you guys Okay. Like, yeah, yeah, no, it's, it's fiction, but man, that was crazy, right? And, and I remember after that monologue, it's Lent, and it's kind of, you know, contemplative and heavy, but people, people clapped, people stood up, and, and I remember in those moments not just being proud of her, not just feeling like, oh, you know, that, that's my daughter, but, but I remember feeling like something sacred was happening. I was, I was getting a glimpse of what she was made to do, and I remember those moments looking at Aria and just saying, I don't know what this child will become, but it certainly seems like she is born for this. In fact, when I see her on a stage, I, I still get that impression, and I don't know how it's going to work out. It's hard to make your living from the stage, but, but I know that, that in those moments, I'm seeing something that God put into her that he's then drawing out, and it's powerful, it's emotional, it's, it's sacred. See, Christmas, babies, wonder, expectation, destiny. Throughout this series, what we're going to be looking at are a series of babies born um, throughout the Bible, often who came with, with lots of promise and expectation before they finally came. Many of them came through miraculous means, but all of them came for a special purpose, for, for a specific destiny. And we're going to look at these, these births, not just to kind of learn more about Bible stuff, but, but through each of these births, we're going to learn more about ourselves and who God is and our relationship with God. And ultimately, we're going to see how these births all prefigure the coming of Jesus. But today, we're, we're going way, way back to ancient uh, parts of the scripture, some of the oldest parts of the scriptures, to a couple by the name of Abraham and Sarah. Now, Abraham and Sarah are a couple who had been made a promise by God that they would have a huge family, that family would, would develop into a huge nation, and through their family, all nations on earth would be blessed. And this was a promise that God himself gave to them, and God delivered this promise, and then time went on, and after time went on, it started to feel like maybe this was a cruel joke, because while there was this promise that they would be a great nation someday, the reality was they were 80, 90 years old, and they were still childless. And as time went on and that promise was unfulfilled in their life, you can imagine how the hopelessness started to seep in or even some cynicism. But one day, while they are well along in years, almost 100 years old, some visitors come across their land and they take the visitors in and they feed them because they're hospitable people. And during that visit with these strangers, they get some news. We're going to look at it, Genesis chapter 18, page 16 in the Bible ahead of you if you're here in the room. Um, so one of the visitors asked Abraham, says, he says, where is your wife, Sarah? They asked him. There in the tent, Abraham said. Then one of them said, 
I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, will have a son. Now, Sarah was listening at the entrance to the tent, which was behind where the men were sitting. Abraham and Sarah were already very old, and Sarah was past the age of childbearing. So Sarah laughed to herself as she thought, after I'm all worn out and my, my Lord, my husband is old, will I now have this pleasure of chasing around a toddler? You know. Then the Lord said to Abraham, by the way, what I didn't tell you is of these three visitors, one of them appears to be the manifestation of God himself, the other two are angels. So uh, then the Lord said to Abraham, you know, why did Sarah laugh and say, will I really have a child now that I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? I will return to you at the appointed time next year, and Sarah will have a son. Sarah was afraid, so she lied and said, I did not laugh, but he said, oh yeah, you did. Um, like, let's just be honest here. We, we know what's going on. And, 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 then, and then it goes just like, just like God said, a year from uh, that point, Abraham and Sarah are holding a baby boy in their arms. And if you know the story, they gave him the name, you know, Isaac. And uh, Isaac literally means, appropriately means, he laughs. And you can just imagine Abraham and Sarah holding this child and just, just laughing at a hundred years old, laughing. I mean, it's, it's ridiculous. Who ever heard of such a thing? And yet here they are, people who've been waiting for this promise to be fulfilled in their life and all of the pain of, of their childlessness and all the confusion and all the hopelessness. And now they're holding this baby in their arms, their son, this son of promise. And, and you can also imagine them just, just wondering, their minds exploding with the possibilities of what this child would be, of, of what he would do, of how he would fit into God's great plans for the world. And, and, and you can just imagine, you know, like them holding him and looking at him and saying, we, we can't believe this child is ours. And who knows what God will do? And then a few short years later, this story takes a pretty dark turn. And for those of us who've grown up in the church and we've heard this story, I think sometimes we gloss over just how horrifying this part of their story is. But if you've never heard this before, um, this might rightly horrify you and I'm just gonna ask you to push through it uh, because um, on the other side of it, I I think there's something really important and powerful and beautiful we're supposed to take away from this. But the rest of the story happens in Genesis 22. So if you're there in the Bible, you can just flip a couple of pages right at the head of the chapter. It says, sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, Abraham replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain I will show you. What? I mean, can this, can this be real? I mean, why would God, first of all, say anything like this to anyone? Why would God ever ask for a child as a sacrifice? I mean, that, that's just, that's unprecedented. God doesn't do this in scripture. And, and certainly that's not, not the kind of God I want to worship, right? Who, who asks for this. But, but even more than that, God who promised this son who sent an angel and he himself came and, and promised this son and, and it all was fulfilled the way he, he promised. Why on earth would God now, who made all of these promises and then, and then fulfilled on these promises and provided the son, why would he ever now demand this child back as a sacrifice? 
And, and you can just imagine just the, the, how shaken Abraham and Sarah must have been. And all of those, those expectations and dreams and all the speculation about what this son would, would one day do and who it would become, you, you can just imagine all of those things evaporating at once or, or worse, just clouding over with grief. As they now imagine this child being demanded by God as a sacrifice. It must have been so confusing and and I don't know if you can even imagine the grief. Except I think some of you probably can. In fact, I know some of you can. Because there are some of you sitting in this room and and you have held a child and, and dreamed over him or her and you have poured into him or her and you have tried to draw out the things that God has uniquely placed inside him or her and, and then far too early they were taken from this earth and were never able to see their full potential. And for parents who've experienced that, there's not only a grief that comes, um, but I think there's some big questions. What, God, why? Why would, you, why would you give us a child? Why would you have us invest in him or her only, only to have them taken away before they can ever fully reach, reach their uh, purpose or destiny? And I know there are some of you who maybe haven't lost children in that way, but there are some of you who have invested in a child and you've poured into him or her and, and, and you try to be great parents and then you've watched as they've gone wayward and they've squandered everything poured into them. There's not only a grief that comes with, with that, but, but there is a lot of confusion. There, there are some good questions. God, why would you give? Why would you promise and then allow it to happen this way? And again, even though it's it's a really confusing story, and I think there are lots of ways that Christians have tried to make a a really dark and horrifying story more okay, um, here's what I can tell you, that if we can sit with this story, there are some deeper things that that we can see today. In fact, let's just sit with the story. Um, Here's how it goes the rest of the way. It says, early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son, Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day of the journey, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac and he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father, Abraham, gosh, father, yes, my son, Abraham replied. The fire and the wood are here, Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham answered, and I still don't know, is this, is this a man of, of such deep faith that he, he knows God's going to do something else here? Or is this just, you know, a father trying to keep his son from knowing this horrible thing that's going to happen? I, I don't fully know. But Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. When they reached the place God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. 
Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abraham looked up and there in a thicket, he saw a ram caught by its horns and he went over and he took the ram and he sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. And to this day, it is said on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. The angel of the Lord called Abraham from heaven a second time. And said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies and through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. In the end, it technically all turns out okay. But can you imagine the work that Abraham and Isaac had to do in their relationship after this? I mean, sometimes I worry that I'm scarring my children, but Abraham's making me feel like dad of the year here, right? And, and we, don't, we don't know all of that. We don't know the repercussions of, of this encounter. Um, but again, here's what I can say that I think, I think the purpose of this story, of this encounter, of this event, is bigger than Abraham, it's bigger than Sarah, it's bigger than Isaac. I I think there are purposes here that extend all the way to us. In fact, that's what I'd like to unpack for you today. See, I think this event can help us first understand what faithfulness looks like. So often we think of faithfulness as the big things, the the romantic things, the, the astounding acts, the heroic things. And while that can be true, um, I think what the story teaches us is that faithfulness is actually much simpler than that. And it begins much before the heroic act, much before you're standing over your son where he's laying on a pile of wood ready to offer him with a knife in your hand. It starts way before that. In fact, it starts with these words, here I am. This was a phrase that Abraham said both times that God called his name. At the beginning when he delivered the message, at the end when the angel intervened before he made the sacrifice, Abraham, they called to him and Abraham says, here I am. And and here's what we learned from the story, that faithfulness, again, it's not always to be found in the big heroic things. Often faithfulness is found simply in showing up and being available and being present. See, this is true of us in our own faith walk. This is what it means to be a faithful Christian. Sometimes we think of the big outlandish things or we, or we idolize those who you know, did the heroic things. But faithfulness often starts and it often ends way before any of those bigger things. It starts with simply saying, here I am. And meaning it, being present, being available and showing up. Faithfulness is is the same in your relationships. I mean, what better way to show faithfulness as a a lover, as a parent, as a child? It, It doesn't take the heroic things or the big grandiose things just to simply be present, to show up and to be available. Isn't that what every kid wants from his parents? Not just that they're present, but that they're present. 
that they're showing up and they're available. Isn't that what every lover wants of their lover and every partner wants of their lover? They want you to be present, to show up, be here with me in this moment. Be available, say, here I am when I need you. Isn't that what every boss wants? It's not about killing it or setting records at work, but, but actually being present, being available, showing up with your full selves. And, and we are so good at showing up physically, but not really being available, not really being present. And, and that trickles into our faith life, and so we come to church, and we may pray, and we may read our Bible, and, and we're, we're, we're there, we're present, we're here, but we're not really showing up. We're not really surrendered. We're, we're not really present. We're not really listening, waiting for God to call our name so that we can say, here I am. See, see I, think, I think the real act of faithfulness in the story, don't, don't go to the grandiose thing. It starts way back at the beginning. And if Abraham hadn't learned to hear God call his name and to say, here I am, the story would have ended very differently. See, we learn what faithfulness actually looks like. And it's found in the small, simple things. Second, this event can help us understand who is really being tested. If we pull the audience, we'll say, all right, simple reading comprehension. Who is the character being tested in the story? And I think most of us would say, that's, it's Abraham. Right? There's even language in the story that says that. And, and to a level, to a degree, that's true. But if, if you really step back from the story, you look at it from the bigger picture, I'd ask you to reconsider that. Who is really being tested in this story, in this event? It's God himself. Right? God, God is on the hook. God is in the hot seat. God will provide the sacrifice, Abraham said. See, this isn't a story ultimately about Abraham proving himself. God didn't need Abraham to prove himself. Here's the thing. God already knows where your heart is. He already knows where your loyalties lie. He doesn't need to put these tests in front of us for us to prove ourselves. He can see inside of us and he knows exactly where our hearts are. This isn't about Abraham needing to show himself to God to be a faithful person or or to be a believing person or a dedicated servant. God did not need that. But I'll tell you what, Abraham sure walked away from this encounter with with a whole new appreciation of what this means. I mean, we can believe this, we can profess this. God's a God who provides. God will show up. God will provide for us. And you can believe that theologically. But Abraham walked away from this encounter after having said these words, understanding this at such a deeper level. His life was forever changed because he saw that God showed up and he provided and forever after, when you say something like God will provide, Abraham's not just going, oh yeah, that, that's true. Abraham now knows without a doubt that God will provide because God passed his own test. God rose to his own challenge. See, um, the same can be true of us. I think so often we imagine that God is throwing little tests our way, and, and, and to a degree, he is. And maybe even when you come, to, um, you come to church on a weekend like this and you hear these guys up front talking about, hey, we want you to make December your most generous December ever. We're going to make this a December to remember, and so we want you to pray about giving more here than you've ever given before in the month of December. I, I want to ask you when, you, when you hear words like that, when you hear a challenge like that, how does that hit you? Does it feel like a test? 
of your faithfulness? Does it feel like a challenge where you need to prove yourself or, or some way that you're expected to compare yourself to other people? Or does it feel like you're being guilted or manipulated? Does it make you resentful? Does it make you fearful? See, you can see these things as, as a test of your faithfulness, like you're being tested. But do you know what these challenges are really about? Do you know they're, who they're really for? These challenges are an opportunity for you to test God, to see if he is who he says he is, and to see if he'll do what he says, what he promises he will do, to see if he is truly a God who will provide. Now, maybe for you, this idea of testing God doesn't, doesn't seem, seem healthy or doesn't seem right, but I'll tell you, throughout the scriptures, God actually invites this kind of action from us, especially as it relates to our sacrifices or our giving. He makes very clear who is taking the test and who is on the hook for it. Look at Malachi chapter three. God says, bring the whole tithe, your whole offering. It's talking about generosity here. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this. See, it's not a test on you. Sure, sure, you've got to take action here, but God says, who's ultimately on the hook? I am. When you bring the whole tithe into my storehouse, you are testing me. I am on the hook to prove myself to you. And here's what I'll do, God says. And see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough for you to store it. Not only will I do that, but I'll prevent pests from devouring your crops and the vines in your fields will not drop their fruit before it is ripe, says the Lord Almighty. See, you've got no need to prove yourself to me or to anybody else or even to God. He already knows. But God absolutely has something that he wants to prove to you. Absolutely has something he wants to prove to you. And, and when you allow him the opportunity to demonstrate that he is who he says he is and he will do what he promises he will do, then just like Abraham, you will walk away changed. It, it will change everything about your relationship with God. When you see God pass his own test and prove to you his faithfulness. The third thing that we can learn uh, through all of this event is, is this event helps us understand who this story is really about. On the surface, yes, it's about Abraham and Sarah and Isaac. Um, but if you read it again with a broader perspective, um, you start to see hints of, of maybe the story pointing ahead to someone else. Just look at some of these quotes and, and see if they remind you of anyone else, maybe who was born a little bit later. Take your son, your only son whom you love, and sacrifice uh, him there as an offering on a mountain, I will show you. Does that sound like anyone else? Not Genesis 22, that's where these words come from. Does that sound like maybe it could be referring to anyone else? Or what about this? Uh, he took the wood and placed it on his son and he himself carried it. Or what about this? God himself will provide the lamb. Or even this, on the third day. I'm just wondering, do any of those, those quotes in Genesis 22 sound like maybe they could be referring to someone else, maybe another baby born a few thousand years later, maybe a baby that we're celebrating this month? I mean, don't they sound like they could be talking about Jesus? Who God at, at Jesus of baptism says, this is my son whom I love, listen to him. Or in John three sixteen, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, he gave him as a sacrifice that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. 
Or John looking at Jesus, John the Baptist, and saying, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. God is providing the Lamb. Or even how we know that on the third day, Jesus rose again. You see, I I believe that part of the reason God has this crazy, mind-boggling event happen is so that thousands of years before Jesus would ever come, already seeded into our history, already placed in our timeline and in our knowledge, is this story of a long-awaited son of promise through whom all nations were supposed to be blessed, who, who was then comes to this point of, of being offered in this, in this horribly dark moment. But before the end of the story, God redeems it and makes it all okay. You see, I, I believe that the story is so much bigger than Abraham or Sarah or Isaac. I believe the story is here to help us with, with these things, to understand what faithfulness looks like, to understand what... When we feel like we're being tested, man, let me just tell you this real quick. This week, I came in Friday morning. I work on my message all week. And I came in early, and I had about maybe an hour or two to finish it. I came in workout clothes because I was going to leave and go work out and then come back. Um, but I just wanted to lock it up. And I came in, my computer had had some um, upgrades over Thursday. And I came in, and my message for this weekend that I'd already spent dozens of hours, dozen hours on was gone. Um, and I'm sitting on Friday morning. I have a deadline at 11 o'clock to get all the stuff in. It was gone. And uh, eventually when IT came in, they, they realized they couldn't get it back. And so I had to recreate it. <laughs> and I'm sitting there going, you know, why me? What is this test about God? And I think, yeah, in a way I was being tested. But ultimately, what is this about? When, when you're being tested, just flip it. Just flip it. Realize that what God is doing is giving you the opportunity to trust his faithfulness. Here I am. I'm preaching a message. It must have ended okay, right? Uh, you can be the judge on that, I guess. But... Um, <laughs> See, this event can help us understand what faithfulness is. It can help us understand who's really being tested when we think it's us, that God is actually putting himself in the hot seat. It can help us understand who the story is really about. And see, above all, here's what God is saying to the world. We should rightly be horrified by this story that God would ask parents who love their child to offer him as a sacrifice, that should horrify us. But here's what God is saying, that he will gladly do what he would never ask any earthly parent to do. What God would never actually make Abraham go through with and do, God himself willingly did. Because he brought his son into this world, had him be born of flesh, and as that son grew into a man, a man of so much promise, he allowed him to be offered as a sacrifice to spare us. See, what what God would never demand of any of us, because it's just too horrible, he was making us ready for the fact that, that what is horrible to us that we would never be able to stomach doing, he will gladly do. And it's not because he's a monster. And it's certainly not because he loved, didn't love his son. It's just because he loves us. You see, when, when you start to flip this story around... And and you don't make it about human faithfulness, but you start to see it as a story told ultimately to reveal the faithfulness of our God. It changes everything about the story. Even look at this. These are words that the angel spoke to Abraham right after um, he had been prepared to offer his son. And he says, no, don't do it. Don't lay a hand on him. Said these words, now that I know that you fear God. Watch how these words change when you put Christ in the middle. You you turn the tables and you you see that in light of Christ, this is ultimately about God would do. Look at how these words change. 
Now, instead of an angel speaking this to Abraham, we say this back to God. Now I know that you love me, God, because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. And that's ultimately what Advent's all about for us. It's about being confronted with this, this, this work of God, the activity of God, a God who would do what no uh, earthly parent should ever do that he'd ever asked for them to do. But God puts himself in the hot seat and he passes his own test so that we don't have to wonder anymore. We don't have to wonder if he's good. We don't have to wonder if he's a God who really provides. We don't have to wonder if he loves us. Because after what he's done, there can be no doubt. There can be no doubt of how deep his love goes. And and I'll tell you this, this love of God, this, this love that would offer his son in our place to spare us so that we could have life and be in a relationship with him. It is a love you will never understand. It is a love that surpasses all understanding. It will never make sense to you. The depths of his love may even horrify you because, because it's, just, it's a love that we don't know, that we cannot emulate. We certainly cannot repay. But I'll tell you what, it is a love that you can experience. And that's what it means to be a Christian. That's what it means to follow Jesus. It doesn't mean to understand everything, but it's to live and move and have our being under a love that boggles the imagination. And we don't have to wonder anymore. God God has demonstrated how deep his love goes. And my prayer for us this season of Advent is that we would be just bowled over by the love of God. This love that we can't understand, that we would be taken deeper to experience it all the same. We pray, Father in heaven, I thank you that you have done for us what you would never ask us to do for you. And that now in light of your action, there can be no doubt that we are loved, that you love us. Father, over this next month, take us deeper in your love. A love that we can't understand, just just help us experience it all the same and to be changed by it. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.